Well, hello again. We're going to do our, uh, well, we're going to continue our study on courtship and um, we're going to look at some very interesting things today. Uh, but before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come before you in the name of your Son and I ask that you would help us, that you would bless us and strengthen us. Lord, that the Scriptures that will be expounded, that they might be of benefit to Your people, especially, Lord, in this session to young men. Lord, that they may prosper and that in time, Lord, their wives, future wives and families might prosper. That the Gospel and the advancement of the Kingdom might prosper. That the world might come to know Christ as the one who has the power to change and transform. Father, please help me to teach with wisdom and clarity and boldness. Lord, control every word and action. Guide us now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're talking about biblical courtship and uh, we've been talking about the when of biblical courtship. When should a young man... Uh, also a young woman, but in this session specifically, when should a young man think that he is ready um, to court a young lady or to enter into a relationship leading to marriage with a young lady? Now, I've put down here the win of courtship for a young man. The biblical principle is simple and challenging. A young man may pursue a relationship with the opposite sex only after he has embraced adulthood and its responsibility. In other words, in other words, no boys allowed. Young men, if you want to participate, if you want to be a part of a relationship with a young woman, if you want to be entrusted with her life, then you must grow to adulthood. You must forsake childlike things and take hold of the responsibilities of a man. Now, I want you to think of something uh, that's very, very important. Um, The age of manhood has increased dramatically over the last few generations. Um, I like to use as an illustration, there was a movie out several years ago called Master and Commander. And it was about uh, the battle the sea battles between two mighty ships uh, between the English and the French and Captain uh, Lucky Jack Aubrey and uh, he was uh, fighting the French privateers uh, on the open sea. And what's amazing is that when you look at the men who were under him, um, they were young men, many of them. Some of them had tremendous responsibilities of even leading other men into war, to crossing over to the other ship and fighting in hand-to-hand combat. And some of these young men who led looked little more than 15 or 16 years old. And it gives us kind of a view of how manhood has been so delayed in our culture. And that young men continue to be boys up until they're in their 30s. And when boys uh, begin to participate in the things that only belong to mature men, well, there's great danger in that. Now, 
when we enter into adulthood, let's say we're a young man and we've We've been serious about the things of God and throughout our life we've been training ourselves, preparing ourselves, growing in Christ. We enter into adulthood. We're 17, 18 years old. We're assuming the responsibilities of a man. Of course, there's going to be some immaturity that continues. We all have to battle with that. Someone will not become or someone will not own the wisdom of a 65 year old man when they are 22. But at the same time, if we are going to ask for the privilege of a relationship with a young lady, we must take seriously the demands, the responsibility of that relationship. We must be men. We must be. We have no other option. Or we will do great damage to a young lady and the children that come forth from that relationship. Now, I want us to look at a few things that are somewhat signs of maturity. Things to maybe be goals for you to work on, but also they act as a litmus test where you can ask yourself, am I really an adult or am I just a boy in an adult's body? It's very, very important. The first one is this. A young man needs to be willing and able to separate from father and mother and form a new family unit. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, the verb leave here is strong. It's translated from a Hebrew word, which means to leave behind, depart from, forsake, abandon. It can even mean to neglect. Now, the point is not that we should abandon our parents or neglect them in any way. Even after we leave the home, we have responsibilities with regard to our parents, especially when they get older and they have need of us. But what it means is that there is a significant change in the relationship when a young man enters into adulthood. And especially when he's thinking about marriage, of uniting with a young lady. He must not be dependent upon his parents as a boy would be. Now, let me share something that's very important because I don't want you to misunderstand me here. Times have really changed. A young man, um, let's say he's, he's in high school and uh, he's taking adulthood very seriously. He wants to grow to be a man. Maybe even his father is participating, training and teaching him. There are some problems. In, in many cases, even young men who are homeschooled, it is very difficult for them to... Uh, you know, be homeschooled at 15 or 16 years old and also start their profession. In older days, a son would follow his father and his father's profession and would, you know, that that led to a lot of freedom and it enabled the young man to be independent um, at a quicker pace. But today we, we go, we're homeschooled or maybe some of you are, are in a, a Christian school, maybe even some of you in a, have been in a public school. And you were kind of raised in a culture where you weren't supposed to work. You were supposed to go to school and play or go to school and participate in sports. And you never really learned how to take care of yourself. 
And then I recognize that after you graduate, many of you went on to college where you, you studied for four or five more years. And um, again, maybe your parents were helping you. You were dedicating yourself to your studies. Now, let me say this. I am not saying that a young man has to be completely, totally, financially independent from his parents before he can even begin to think about entertaining a relationship um, with, with a woman. There may be instances where we have a fine young man who's going to college, he's preparing to be a doctor or a lawyer, and uh, maybe he's even working a part-time job, but his mother and father, they're very proud of him, they respect what he's achieved, and they are helping him through this part of his life. If he's showing himself as an adult, if he's showing himself to be responsible, hardworking, and all these things, and his mother and father are in agreement, then, then there's no reason why if God seems to bring a young lady into his life that he cannot entertain a relationship with her. But that's quite different from a young man who just goes to high school and all he thinks about is getting his studies done and playing basketball or someone who's in college and all he thinks about is, is studying and maybe working enough to be able to buy the next video game that comes out on the block. Um, and young men, let, let me say something here. It, it, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen well. Sometimes I have talked to young godly women or they have spoken with my wife and they've talked to her. And I remember one time we mentioned to a, a group of girls, I said, well, you know, there's a lot of uh, young men in, in this particular church and, and they uh, seem to be serious about studying the scriptures and, and following Christ. And this was the reply of the young ladies. They said, yes, they read their Bible and they're moral, but they're little boys. Now, that might be offensive, but so I asked them, I said, well, what do you mean they're little boys? She goes, they're all working part time jobs and, and, and doing things. But they, they're working part-time jobs in order to, because they're excited about buying a new pair of $120 tennis shoes or they're buying the next version of Xbox or they're not thinking about um, saving money for a family. They're not thinking about purchasing a home. They're not thinking about saving their money because they want to be married and they want to be a godly man with a godly family. That doesn't even enter into their mind. So they told me, they said, Brother Paul, even though, yes, they seem to love Jesus and they do evangelism and they read their Bibles, they're just little boys with allowances that they uh, spend on toys. And, and listen, men, I know a lot of 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, that we could say the same thing about them. You know, it's that if you don't grow up and be an adult, You'll just be a big boy with toys that are more expensive. Don't be that way. Realize that you're living for a purpose, not to jump from one entertainment to another or one toy to another or one activity or sport, but that you, you desire and to, to be a godly man with a godly family. Let me just say this. Do you desire to be with a woman? 
Well, if you have that desire, then there's some responsibilities that you're going to start. You're going to have to start living up to. And one of them is to prepare for that. And part of that is coming out from under the care, especially the economic care of your mother and your father and and being able to care for someone and care for a family yourself. And fathers, we need to be teaching this to our children. I mean, my little boys, I sit down with them and I, I explain to them, why are you doing math? Why are you learning to write cursive? Why are you reading these books? Well, son, I'm not always going to be here for you. You're going to have to learn to stand on your own and be a man and take care of a wife and some little boys and a little girl just like I'm doing now. So let's begin the preparation now. You see? And you say, well, Brother Paul, they're young. That's not going to stick in their head. Well, it may not stick in their head for a while, but one day it will. And whether it sticks in their head or not, it's still my responsibility to tell them. All right. Now, not only is he to leave his father and mother, but he is to cleave or join to his wife. The verb joined is translated from the Hebrew word, which means to cling, stick, stay close, cleave, keep close. Okay. So in the same way that that we're breaking out of the family unit of our father and beginning our own family unit as a man before God, we are going to no longer cleave to mom and dad. Okay? It's just like when my, when my little boy was two years old or my little Rowan uh, who is, is three right now, when we walk across a parking lot anywhere, I've got her hand held so tight that I'm almost cutting off the circulation. I want her to cleave to me because there's dangers out there and she's too young to face them alone or even know that they exist. All right, but when she's 19, I don't want to be doing that. I would still like to be holding her hand just because I love her, but not because she is such an immature human being. She doesn't know how to walk across the street. I want her to break free, in a sense, to join the world of adults and to act like one. Now, if you want to break free and you want to cleave to a wife, now, let me read something to you. A new relationship with the spouse with the spouse results in marked changes in other relationships. Now, guys, uh, get ready because I'm going to waylay you here. OK, um, you have a new relationship with siblings, with best friends, with co-workers in the ministry or in your job. This is particularly true with the opposite sex. When a man says yes to one woman in marriage, he is also saying no to every other woman on the face of the earth, which means we avoid flirting at all costs. Now, let me let me take this last one first and then go uh, back and do the first one last. Um, When you say yes to your wife, you're saying no to every other woman in the world. There's even a sense in which you're saying no to your mother. Your mother is, is, is no longer your primary confidant. Your wife is. You do not enter into a relationship, even with a woman who is godly, unless that woman is your wife. Do you understand me? Listen, 
One of the things that I think will be wonderful about heaven is this, that we'll be able to enter into all kinds of relationships that we cannot enter into on this earth. You say, well, why, Brother Paul? On this earth, we still have the problem with sin, flesh, the world, and the devil. Okay? Let's say that there's a sister in Christ that I know. And she is a lovely, godly person. And she knows much about God. Because of our present situation, because of the remaining fallenness of our persons, I'm not going to go over there and start even a theological relationship with this lady. I wouldn't dare to invite her to lunch to talk to her about even biblical truths. Why? Because we must refrain. We must put up walls. We must take great care and great caution because there is still a sense of a fallenness in us. There is a battle against the flesh. There's temptation. There's world. There's the devil. So we, we need to cut ourselves off from those kind of relationships and be joined to one woman. Now, in heaven, the wonderful thing about that is no relationship is going to be tainted with sin. There will be no temptation to overcome. Our desires will be pure because we will be glorified. At that moment, well, talk to anybody you want. But right now, God in His wisdom has instituted marriage where by us saying yes to one woman, we are saying no to all other women. Now, guys, here's where I'm going to really, uh, I'm going to get you. Um, I can tell that there's some serious male immaturity going on when I see young guys always running around in bachelor packs. Okay? Every, you're, most, well, let me, let me show you how it starts. In, in many, 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 many families, many, many people, even I believe people who are Christian, you know, they'll send their children off to school. Now, we wonder why the family seems so disintegrated. You know, why does Johnny come home from school? He doesn't want to be with his brother. He just wants to be with his friends. He's only looking to get out of the house to be with his friends. Why? What's happened is he has established something of an autonomous um, lifestyle for himself in among his friends and his friends become his peers. He listens to his friends. He wants to be with his friends and everything else starts getting in the way. His whole life is no longer built around his father, his mother, his brother and his sister. But it's built around his friends and that's who he wants to be with. So when everybody comes home at night from either work or school, the house is not really a house. It's just a condo with many different or an apartment complex with many different little apartments in it. And everybody goes to their own room. That's very, very dangerous. You see, since a lot of children spend most of their time, most of their waking hours with their friends, that's where their strong relationships develop. And so they don't have a sense of family. So a young man grows up and he's with his friends all the time in grade school. He's with his friends in sports. He's with his friends in high school. He goes on to college. He's with his friends, other guys that he runs around with. And you know what happens? When that young man gets married, he continues the same thing. And in a sense, many times his wife is someone he may be dedicated to her, 
But when he wants to go out and have a good time, he gets with his friends, goes fishing with the friends, hunting with the friends, you know, uh, boating with the friends, playing golf with the friends. His idea of a vacation is getting out of the house. That is so wrong. Vacation for you ought to be getting in the house. Vacation for you ought to be getting closer to your wife and closer to your children. Now, if you want to remain playing games with your friends for the rest of your life, fine. Go ahead and do it, but don't get married. Just don't get married. Because it's not right to do that to a wife and children. When you get married, you say yes to that woman. You're not only saying yes to her and no to other women and even no to parental relationships to some degree. You are also saying no to all your buddies. Now, are there times that we can do things with with other men? Of course there are. But if that is the center of our life, if going out with our friends and all these sorts of things, it's, to be honest with you, here we go. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. A man joins himself to a woman. And he has joy in that because he loves her. He has joy in that because he sees the purpose of God. He joins himself to his children because he loves them. And God's in this. This is what God designed. Now, this is a little bit advanced, but let me give you just another illustration on this. One time, a dear friend of mine called me up. It was like a Friday. And he said, uh, and, and he has uh, children the same age as my children and things like that. And he goes, so what are you going to do tomorrow? And I said, I'm, I'm going to take my boys fishing. He said, great, I'll come along and uh, I'll bring my boys. And I said, uh, no. Brother, I can't do that. And he said, well, why not? I said, because I'm taking my boys fishing tomorrow. And he said, well, I don't understand. And I said, brother, we've gone fishing before. Your boys have done stuff with my boys and you and I have stood there. But tomorrow I need to take my boys fishing. You see, if, if I go out with my boys and you go out with your boys... You and I will stand there and fish while our boys play Tarzan swinging on vines and trying to catch venomous snakes. I'll spend my time with you and my boys will spend their time with your boys. I need some time with my boys. He said, Paul, thank you. I understand. Bless you. You see, a lot of times men will get together and it's like men that don't know how to be alone with their wives. So the only time they can go out with their wives is in a group with other couples. Or men who want to do something with their children, but they've got to find another man with his children to do it because they just haven't built that relationship. Guys, it's wrong. So young men, you run around in your bachelor packs at college and high school and everything else and you want to keep doing that, you just keep doing it. But don't get married. Don't get married. Because you're going to have to break free from that. Again, now do not take me to an extreme. I'm not saying that... Um, I mean, I go out and, and, and do things at times with, with my friends, with my colleagues. But that's not my life. That's not my life. And vacation is not getting away from the family. It's being able to get closer to them. Free time should be being with our wife 
playing with our children. Do you see? Well, I hope so. Um, now, so one of the signs of, of maturity is that a young man will be willing and able to separate from father and mother and form a new family unit. Now, let's look at something else. Let's look at some important signs of male maturity. First of all, and this is a biggie, a personal and unaided devotion to God. Now, notice I've, I've used two adjectives here. Personal, between you and God, not corporate, just you and God, and unaided. No one has to be over you telling you that you need to have your Bible study and you need to have your prayer time. No one needs to be over you in order to supervise you in the things of God. Now, that doesn't mean we, we don't need counsel. It doesn't mean that we can't still benefit from our parents' exhortation. It doesn't mean we don't need elders. We do. And the body of Christ. But if you're a young man who the only reason you have any sort of devotion to God is because of the prodding of your parents, don't bring a young lady into your life. Just don't. Now, I'm going to give you a negative, negative example of King Joash. Now, just listen to this. When he was under um, a godly authority figure, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But when he came out from under that authority, he departed from the Lord. Let's read 2 Chronicles 24, 1 and 2. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zibiah from Bathsheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Joida the priest. Okay? But now listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles 24, 17 through 18. But after the death of Joida, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king and, and the king listened to them. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their guilt. And did you know that in the end, Joash murdered Zechariah, the son of his mentor? Now, he did what was right when there was a godly authority figure over him. But when that authority figure went on and was no longer over him, he showed his true colors. It is very important. It's a litmus test, young men. Can you walk with God by yourself? Yes, I know there's no such thing as lone wolf Christianity and no man is an island. We know all that. But still, if you must be motivated by an authority figure or you will not walk with God, don't think about deceiving a young girl and her parents and bringing her into a relationship with you. Young ladies, mark my words. You want to know, does this young man stand alone before God? Or must someone hold his hand in order to keep him in check? And young lady, you do not want to assume that role. Do you understand me? You're not called to be his mother, his spiritual mother. He's called to be your spiritual leader. And if you have to prop him up in order for him to be a leader, he's not a leader. Now, take heed to this. 
Don't let your emotions get away with you. Don't think that you're going to change this young man and make him into what he ought to be because you're assuming a role that was not given to you. So be very careful. Now, so an important sign of male maturity is a personal and unaided devotion to God. Now, let's look at another. Also, the devotion to God in the context of the family. Does this young man see God's special purpose for the family? And does he desire to raise up a godly heritage unto the Lord? Does he see a purpose, a godly, divine, heavenly, eternal purpose in marriage? And does he see the seriousness of that purpose in raising up godly children? In Genesis 18:19, it says, For I have chosen him, Abraham, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Here's something you need to realize. The world is theocentric. The world is Christocentric. Every action is to be theocentric or Christocentric. Everything that has ever been made uh, is, is for God. Every institution that has ever been established is for God and is to reveal something about God. Sometimes people will tell me, uh, and, and they, they, they have their reasons for it. They'll say, Brother Paul, Song of Solomon isn't anything about God and, and, and Christ or the church. It's just about marriage. And I say, well, there's your problem. Uh, marriage is about God. And about Christ. Everything that has been made in creation, everything that has been established as far as an institution is to be a revelation of God and our relationship to Him. So you see, if, if you're entering marriage for any other reason except the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom, you've got some serious problems with regard to the purpose of your life. Okay? Joshua 24.15 If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you are now living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, here we see Joshua saying, look, he is not ripping open his, his shirt and pounding on his chest like an ape but he's making the stand of a godly, godly man. First of all, he's, he's saying he has been called of God to direct not only his life according to the purposes of God, but he has been called to direct his family according to the purposes of God. He was given a family to lead that family into service to God. If you are entering into a relationship, it is a relationship not to meet all your needs, not to complete you, not to do all these wonderful things and give you your best possible life on this planet. It is because you are called of God into this marriage and the purpose is to bless God and serve Him within the context of your family. Another thing that's important about Joshua here is he said, if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Then he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Young men, let me tell you something. 
you are going to be pulled and tempted like you cannot believe to compromise God's commandments and God's will with regard to your own life and with regard to your family. You're even going to be called, you're going to be tempted to do that even by people within the so-called evangelical congregation that you attend. Many times, you know, pastors and such that have a great vision for their leave a legacy for themselves, they're going to demand so much time for, from you that it, it, they're going to tell you that, that you need to do all these things inside the church in the name of Christ. You need to serve Him in the church and serve Him in the church. And there's truth in that. We need to serve in the context of a body. But they will cause you to almost enslave yourself to their vision and what they think that the, the type of legacy they want to leave on this planet. You don't want to be a part of that. If anyone calls you into a certain ministry that causes you to have to neglect God's commands in another area of your life, you don't do it. You need to be involved in the local church. You need to be serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you need to be advancing your kingdom, the kingdom of Christ in the local church. But if your involvement is so great that you cannot disciple your own wife and your own children and you cannot uh, be an example before them because of all your activity within this so-called church, it's wrong. It's just wrong. Now, don't use the church as a cop-out for not doing what you're supposed to do in your family, but at the same time, there are a lot of people out there who will use their family as a cop-out for not serving in the church. We must simply obey God's commands. And God's commands are perfect. Romans 12.2 tells us that. And because they are perfect, God is not going to command us to do one thing that will cause us to disobey Him in another command. We need to live balanced lives. You will also have co-workers who will tempt you. Everybody may be climbing the ladder because they're willing to work 16 hours a day for their boss. And they're willing to neglect their family and their children and everything else in order to provide a house that is larger than what they need, new cars that they do not need, and certain marks on their clothing that tell everybody they're prosperous. You're going to have to stand and say, no, I will work. And when I'm here at work, I will work hard. But I will not enter into an employment that demands of me to neglect my family. I will not. You know, uh, my generation, most of us, our fathers fought in World War II. They knew the Great Depression. And one of their mantras, and I, I don't want to show any disrespect because in a sense it's admirable, but one of their mantras was, I just want my children to have the things I never had. But here's what you need to understand. It was the things that our fathers never had that made them the men that they were. The fact that when my father was a little boy, he was standing on the street corners in Detroit selling newspapers in order to provide food for his family. That made him into the man that he was. Very hard-working, determined man. Now, here's what I want you to see. Young men and fathers, if you're already fathers and you're listening to this, you are not called by God to give your children all the material things you never had. You're called to provide for them shelter and clothing 
and food. But your greatest responsibility is to provide for them godly teaching and a godly example. And if you have to drive around old beat up cars and get your clothes at Goodwill, which you can find some really good bargains there, if you're required to do that, then do it. And don't expect anyone to pat you on the back because you're just doing what you're supposed to do. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. I know this is kind of straightforward, but that's exactly what we need. I, we cannot use material gifts to substitute for our absence. You may even be challenged by your spouse who maybe isn't that mature at this moment or is faltering and begins to think that she wants or needs more things, wants you to take a greater job, to make more money. There's nothing wrong with taking a better job and there's nothing wrong with making more money. But if it requires you to disobey God's commands with regard to your family and your church, you're not supposed to do it. Okay? All right. Now, he says, everyone else can do what they want, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You're going to have to stand against culture. And men, um, what would you call a man who, there was a violent, angry man who, who's standing at the door of, your home, uh, of his home, um, or a, a, there's a violent man who's approached a home and he's beating on the door. And the man inside the home sends his wife to deal with that violent man. What would you call someone like that? Shameless. Just flat out shameless. Alright? Don't make your wife be the one who stands against culture in your family. Don't, be, don't allow it to be your wife that has to brave the sea and fight through the jungle of this world in order to keep her home godly. She's never to have to deal with that. That is your responsibility to put the oar into the mighty wave and make sure the boat goes in the right direction. It is your responsibility to grab the machete and cut through the vines and entanglements of this jungle we live in. And she's to walk behind you with a much clearer path. All the vines and the entanglements are to be cut away by you. That's what it means to be a man. As for me and my house, Joshua says, men, let's be men. Not bullies. Not Neanderthals pounding on their chest. We may be and should be meek men, kind men, loving men, generous men, forgiving men, merciful men. But we must be men. We must. Now, not only must we be willing to separate from our father, mother, and, and good old boys, but we must also have personal and unaided devotion to God. We also must have personal and unaided devotion to God with inside the context of the family. We also, now young men, we must also have a knowledge and application of Scripture. Young guy, listen to me. 
If you want to walk through a minefield blindfolded and dancing like a clown, knock yourself out. Just go to it. But don't you even think about leading my daughter through the same minefield. If you do not have a growing knowledge of Scripture and a growing ability to apply that Scripture to your life, you have no business of leading, guiding a woman and children through this world. And you say, well, you know, I'm just not the studying kind. Your life depends on it. So it doesn't matter whether or not you're the studying kind. None, not all of us, hardly any of us, have the mind of a Spurgeon or a Sproul or a Piper or a Martin Lloyd-Jones or a MacArthur. That's alright. We won't be judged for what we don't have. But all of us can study the Bible as though our life depends upon it. Because it does. And not only our life. I know a lot of men who will say, you know, man, I'd, I'd die a thousand deaths for my children. Good, you should. And die 10,000 deaths for your wife if necessary. I'll do anything to protect them. I'll do more for them than for myself. Okay, if you will not study the Scriptures for yourself, study the Scriptures for them. Men, now listen to me. You cannot just be... You know, it's so... It's amazing. You see, men who are just... You know, their children are, are in school and they're sitting there wanting them to advance in school or their children are involved in sports and they're buying them every sort of sport equipment and taking them to sports camps and getting them trained hours a, a day and every day a week and all kinds of things so their child may have a shot at a college scholarship. What a fool! That, that's foolish! If it leads to the neglect of the greater need, which is their preparation for eternity. Their preparation for eternity is more important than anything they could gain in this world. They need the knowledge of Scripture. Young men, you need the knowledge of Scripture. This is an absolute necessity for anyone who assumes any role of authority. Let's look at, at what it says about a king in the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. Now just listen to this. This is the king. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Now, we're going to go through this before we close. This is so important. And just listen. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. This is a king. Now, you are not a king. You are a husband. You are a father. You're not a king. But you are in a position of authority. And since you are in a position of authority, you need the same thing a king needs. And what is that? A working, applicable knowledge 
of the scriptures. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him. All right, now he's going to write this whole thing out by hand. He's got to know this. And it shall be with him. It shall become a part of him. His authority comes from the law. Your authority comes from the will of God handed down in the revelation of Scripture. Yes, you've been given authority, but you haven't been given authority to lead or live on a whim. You have been given authority not to do what is right in your own eyes. You have been given authority to understand the will of God, carry it out, apply it in your life and in your family. And so it is with you. It's a working thing. It's a living thing. It's not something you just go and study on Sunday. And leave there at the church. Men, it's every part of your life. When you tell a child, do this, don't do this, there ought to be a biblical reason for it. Because you are a man under authority yourself. And the authority you hand down has to come from that authority over you. They need to be taught that you are teaching them the same will that you yourself is under. That you're under. Do you see that? Now, it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. All the days of his life. You never outgrow it. You never learn it. And even what you learn, you forget and you need to learn it again. How true is that? Your life before your children should be marked by your study of God's Word. Personal study and your study with them. With your family. Young lady, look for a man who is serious about the study of God's Word. You say, but I know this is the guy for me. But he's, he's really, really weak in that area. Well, he may be the guy for you. Then wait. Wait. Wait until there's some maturity in this area. Until he can lead you spiritually. Or, you'll find out that you're leading him to lead you. And that's a very dangerous thing. Now, he'll read it all the days of his life. Young men, let me give you a really good practice. A life practice. Read through the Bible. Start in Genesis and read all the way through. So you get to Revelation and start all over again. Once a year is good. Now that doesn't take the place of other types of studies, but you need a general working knowledge of the Scriptures and it's good to read through the Scriptures. Robert Murray McShane was one of the godliest young men who ever lived. and He has a reading list. You can look it up anywhere. Just Google it. And, um, or just read on your own, starting in Genesis and read all the way through. You know, five chapters a day. Work your way through the Scriptures as a life practice. Now, he's to read the Word of God, not just so he has knowledge. He's to read the Word of God. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. Now, uh, let's just use a little bit of uh, reasoning here for a moment. You say you fear the Lord. Well, congratulations. How much do you read God's Word? Because if you say very little, I will have to tell you that I doubt your claim 
that you fear the Lord. Because we learn to fear the Lord through the Scriptures. Do you see that? We do. We learn to fear the Lord through the Scriptures. And if you have little knowledge of the Scriptures, that means you have little knowledge of the attributes of God. And if you have little knowledge of the attributes of God, you have little knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Proverbs 1.7 And the fear of the Lord is possibly one of the most healthy or life-giving virtues you can possess in your own life and in your family. There will be times when you'll feel like your wife doesn't deserve uh, well treatment, good treatment. Um, you'll not feel like treating her as she ought to be treated. And it'll be the fear of the Lord that guides you in those moments. And if you have not the fear of the Lord, you're in trouble. And so is your family. He says that he may fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. How do we fear God? We show or demonstrate our fear or reverence toward God by keeping His commandments. And how can we keep His commandments if we don't know them? How can we walk in wisdom if we haven't studied His wisdom? You weren't born into this world with a great sense or a great uh, amount of wisdom. You're not born again with wisdom that just comes. You must study. Now look at something very important here. Why should we fear the Lord? It says that His heart may not be lifted up above His countrymen. You do not fear the Lord and you do not study Scripture. If you're any authority in time, what you will do is you will lift your heart up above those who are under your authority. And that is one of the most dangerous places that you can be. Do elders have authority? Yes. But if they do not learn to walk in the fear of the Lord, they will lift themselves up above the sheep and abuse them. They will abuse their authority as though the sheep existed for them. As though the sheep should sacrifice for them instead of they, the pastors, sacrificing themselves for the sheep. Husbands can do the same thing. I see husbands all the time, legalist tight-spirited, critical, mean-spirited men who use their authority like an ape, like a Gentile king who uses their authority that, that all the, the family, the wife and the children pay homage to Him. That they serve Him. That they honor Him. It's absolutely preposterous. It's such a twisting of Scripture. We use our authority to serve not to be served. We use our authority to bless, not to be blessed. We use our authority not to lift ourselves up in front of our brothers, but to lower ourselves in service to our brothers, our wives, and our children. So if you do not read Scripture and you take seriously the command of authority with regard to the family, you are going to be a beast of a man. And I want to tell you something. I've seen some beasts. To accept authority without Christ's likeness will do great damage. But mark this. It may do great damage to a wife and great damage to children. 
but it'll do great damage for the man on the day of judgment when he stands before God and he is advised and judged with regard to his abuse of power. Sometimes, young men, I teach on the family and I teach on marriage and I teach on the headship of a man. And it's, it's one of the most frightening things I have to teach on. Why? Because you know that there are these legalistic, mean-spirited kind of men who crush everybody. And, and what they, they use that kind of teaching in order to suppress and oppress their wives and their children and to lift themselves up as kings in the household. That is not the sense Christ gives to these terms. We have authority. We are to be followed. But our leadership is costly. And it's for the blessing of those under us, not for our own. Um, okay, by careful observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment. Another thing that authority will do is it will turn you aside from the commandments. Many ministers have fallen because they've been used of God, and then they come to think that somehow they are. They've grown in such authority and power that they no longer need to submit themselves to the commandments of lesser Christians. And they almost begin to see themselves as, I call them, spoiled, rotten brats of God. That they can get away with things that others cannot get away with. And, and authority can do that. Why? Because authority can produce pride. And it can cause us to think that somehow we're special and we do not have to keep the menial small commands of the average believer. To whom much is given. You see, it's just the opposite. To whom much is given, much is required. If God has given you a place of authority in your family, then He requires more of you, more humility, more service than He does of your wife and your children. Authority in the Christian life does not really bring privilege. Maybe that is the great, uh, the great thing that divides Christian authority from Gentile authority. Our authority doesn't bring privilege. It brings responsibility, duty, and sacrifice. So just keep that in mind. A lot of you young men, you know you're going you're gonna to err. Um, you're, you're going to, you know, maybe read a book on authority or headship or something, and you're going to march in there and you're going to make a fool out of yourself, and uh, and you're going to do a lot of damage. Don't be very cautious, very cautious, and you have to avoid extremes here when you seek for counsel on the matter, because there are some men who are all about headship and their authority and power. And they're dangerous. Then there's other men who just explain the whole idea of authority and headship away. And don't be around that either. Exercise authority. Lead your family. But do it in a Christ-like manner. And use it to serve and bless others. Okay. Now, um, in our next session, we're going to continue on with these signs of male maturity. 
And we'll hit things like Christ-like character, moral fortitude. And then we're going to touch on one that isn't usually touched on. As a matter of fact, the whole idea was brought to mind one day by a friend of mine, Bodie Bauckham. And we're going to touch on labor and provision. That one of the signs of maturity, as my friend uh, Bodie Bauckham said one time to me, is uh, does the young man delight? Does he delight in God-honoring labor? And God honoring hard work. Because if he doesn't, don't let him near your daughter. Uh, I think that's good advice. All right, well, God bless you. I've pounded you enough for one session, but I'll probably pound you more when we come back. And I want you to know if I'm pounding you, I'm pounding me. Yeah, I'm older than a lot of you that are going to watch this, but yeah, we still need pounding. And it's, we can pound ourselves or we can. Uh, Harden our hearts and let God pound us. So it's better just to soften our hearts, to live in contrition and pound ourselves a bit. Well, God bless you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Please visit our website at heartcrymissionary.com. There you will find information about the ministry, our purpose, beliefs and methodologies and extensive information about the missionaries we are privileged to serve.